strapped in the trenches Making moves going all out Every day handle business You know that the hustle don't stop Got my team, let's get it Reviewing books and talk stocks Steady keep it moving So you gon' wanna tune in Get Lowdell, it's an app Get local food on demand Delivery right to your home Everything in the palm of your hand Took hard work and dedication Come through, join the conversation This is history up in the making We just wanna be an inspiration Hey, let's go Welcome to another edition of, or I should say episode of Bootstrapped in the Trenches. Today we dive into Sarah Fryer's No Filter, the inside story of Instagram, which we'll get into in a bit. I personally, I know we talked a bit before we just got on here. I thought it was dry, chronological, and very dull. So not one of my favorite story. I, I really didn't get much out of that, to be honest. It was in the lens from the founder of Instagram, Seistrom, uh, I believe, is his first name Kevin? Yeah. I think Kevin Seistrom. And he just, uh, like, I, you know, it was basically, I'll just dive into this a little for a second. It's imagine being a, becoming a billionaire, knowing you're getting bought by a behemoth and what it's going to come with. And uh, part of me was like, this guy's this artist and creative, all well and good. I get that. But you're selling to Facebook you know, come on, <laughs> you know, you're a billionaire. And it, I just, I don't know, the whole time I felt, Corey, there was this disgruntled vibe from, and I get it, it wasn't 100%. their baby anymore, but when you're paid like that, don't don't sell the company if you're gonna have that type of mentality. It seemed like he loved the lavish life that came with that buyout, but he didn't like not being Someone in else. charge anymore. So yeah. we'll, we'll get into yeah. that in a bit, but uh, anything interesting on the food scope? Dan, you've been recovering. Did Danny get her taste buds back? Are you, you know, everything working there? Yes. We are both fully recovered. She's got her taste buds back. I'm feeling good. When so what was returned. what was Danny's first, like, what did she want to eat when her taste buds returned? Was there like an immediate, oh, I'm craving this? No, but what was weird was it seems like, according to her, when her taste buds came back, they almost came back like stronger than normal. At least really? for a little bit. So she was telling me how everything like tasted a lot sweeter than normal. And it was almost like all the different tastes were just enhanced. Mm. So you can imagine yeah. what that's like. It's like they're put on pause and hitting the reset <laughs> going through the car wash. Definitely. That's pretty, but yeah, that's pretty cool. I, uh, the Corona was pretty low key for me. And there's some other people I know down here that have it right now that are also like on the back, you know, a couple days left. And I feel fortunate enough to have gotten it and I've gotten over it. And Corey, me and you are on the other side of the apocalypse, especially. <laughs> Let's go, Dan. Well, we'll see about what, right there. You know, there might be another wave of this apocalypse in other ways. Who knows? I mean, yeah, I'm sure there will be, you know, that's that? humanity for you. But our uh, desert dust coming throughout the south. Have you guys heard about that? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the new wave in the media. It's crazy. Yeah. There, there's a new narrative every day. But uh yeah, Dan, so anything food-wise, or have you kind of just been going with chicken noodle soup and healing, like nothing to report? No, I mean, I'm, I'm back to full meals. I, I just, I don't have anything specifically exciting. Nothing, nothing fun. Corey? No. Yeah, you know what? Uh, Mike and I actually went to eat with my brother last weekend. That was the last yeah. really cool thing I ate, but we had a caviar hash brown. Great call awesome. on that, Corey. Um, Phenomenal. Yeah. Never seen anything like it. Also, it was our first time dining, my first time dining out. Um, I don't know about you, Mike, 
it was, it was nice. an, I had dined out like two nights before that, but yeah, dude, it was great doing that with you and Greg. We got to make that more of a regular thing. Yeah, the experience was interesting um, for anyone who hasn't dined out. You know, the the menu is a QR code. Everyone scan takes a picture of the QR code. The menu pops up. You order separately. Um, it was just a really interesting thing. And um, you know, we the restaurant was on a boat, so that was pretty cool. Um, I know. At everyone, first, I thought I was going to get nauseous, but I it was yeah. funny. Your brother was like, "Dude, I could tell <laughs> you're not feeling well here," but that luckily ended up being nothing. Like I think yeah. when I was a kid, this little sense, you know, I had bad ears as a kid with tubes put in. So I naturally have always had problems with motion. Like I can't well, sit in the back seat of a car. Was it, you know, it, 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 it was just smaller like boat. No, it just docked. It's a dock. It boat. was docked, Dan. But it was it was moving. Like kind of like yeah. you know, where you're like, oh, on a cruise ship in a way where you feel it. Like I'm pretty good with that. And uh, I was feeling it at first too. Like, honestly, I had like, I think two drinks and I, I felt buzz just because of the boat. Yeah. That's a good trick, I guess, for our uh, viewers here and listeners. If you want to get a buzz on quickly, just go rock <laughs> on a boat and you want to drink as much. Dan, what yeah. is season that move there? Chewing and putting yourself on mute. I feel like <laughs> audibling there. That was great. <laughs> I caught that too. Very yeah. good. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think me food wise. Yeah, I went out with uh, Paul, Kristen and uh, Daniel, who was on our podcast last week. We, we had a phenomenal Italian meal last night. I had some uh, tagliatelle, the uh, spicy shrimp, which I thought for a second I was going to have an indigestion problem going into the second bite. But you know, when you have that, like Corey, you know what I'm talking about with that. Oh, yeah. And Dan, luckily you haven't had to experience it. It's that brutal feeling where you're like, oh. It's coming on, and I just luckily was like, no, 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 not tonight. I'm too hungry. So that, that was great. Had some phenomenal, uh, what, what did we have? Buffalo mozzarella with some balsamic, um, you know, some calamari in there. It was, it was a good Italian meal sitting outside, having some good sparkling water. So it's been fun. You know, part of why I wanted to move to New York was the dining scene, as you guys know. So that's been that's my arena. That's my wheelhouse is being at a restaurant and, you know, socializing with people. So Corey, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, you know, going out with you and Greg catching up on old times. That's what life's all about. So I do want to just point. So I just went for a walk earlier in the city and it's the first time I really have seen the city. Like it it, it is packed up by me. I don't know about, yeah, it's pretty nuts. Packed. Yeah. I also passed like a city MD and there's about 30 people just like waiting in line. I don't know if they're doing like maybe free antibody testing or if it's just regular COVID testing, but it was pretty alarming. I know New York city has been like doing a good job of things. So hopefully it's just antibody testing. Uh, but it's pretty nuts. Yeah. I mean, the problem is there, you know, hopefully well, I was talking to Dan about, about this earlier, I think on air even, I just, what I'm hoping is the hospitalizations don't really uptick the way the, the cases are. Where yeah. we see in a couple of weeks, it's not as extreme as people are worried about with this, you know, resurgence. Uh, and I could be completely wrong on that, but I'm the optimist in me is saying that this is because Daniel even highlighted last night, Corey, that uh, they his friends in Canada are all out and about. No one's sick. Everything's open, like raging open up there. And it's just odd that the United States seems to be the only place where this is getting worse again. 
And I, I just, I don't know. I, I was running. I bet, they're wearing, What's I bet up? they're wearing masks in Canada. Like uh, everyone else is being pretty not, not from what I heard, Dan. Not, not from what I heard. I'd be shocked if the people up north in Canada are not wearing masks. They're just <laughs> naturally like more intelligent. We might have to get Daniel head. back on us. Well, isn't that Daniel kid saying he's been in California and just took a road trip and hasn't? He been just came back here. But no, all you know, he's from Vancouver, so that's his yeah. hometown. All of his friends have been like you know video chatting with him. They've all been out at bars. No, no one's had masks on. That's what he was highlighting last night. Where it's just like I'm kind of confused here. You know, things are just fine in Canada, but here things are shit hitting the fan. We were doing the math on it. And yeah, like, obviously it's been devastating this virus, but when you run the data, they it's we're in a headline era, guys, as we know. People like clickbait news. Yesterday I see on Smart News, the app, which is great for our followers for like real news updates, but seeing a headline of 500,000 global deaths, not to belittle at all the amount of people that died, that's a lot of people. But in saying that, there's 8 billion people on the planet, just about. So when you run the numbers on the mortality rate on this thing, and even the resurgence in the U.S., the way it's been broken down, it seems like a bit overhyped. That, that's all I'm going to say with that. Well, even with the, resur the resurgence of the virus in the U.S., I mean, they are saying how it's mainly younger people getting it, and that's a big reason why the hospital rates are way down, the deaths are way down. Exactly. So yeah. I think there's something to be said for, you know, I'm sure if they were to do it all over again, they probably would have tried to not shut down and instead maybe advise people above a certain age. Or with an underlying condition. I mean, for every Corey situation that happened, you've got thousands of your situation. Definitely. That, that's yeah. what we're highlighting here. Like, Corey, obviously, if we didn't weren't so close to you and knew this firsthand, it would be, honestly, firsthand, it would be very tough for me. Even being involved, helping, volunteering, doing this stuff with the hospitals, I know it got bad in New York. With But a lot of, even talking to some doctors, a lot of the patients in the ICUs were really old. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of what it was. So, you know, I, I think that's where it, this whole thing I'm curious to see. And I think what Dan just highlighted is dead on. We have a lot more younger people getting sick, a lot less hospitalizations. And hopefully that's going to allow things to start opening back up and not just, I'm seeing people are slowing down the reopenings. I get that to be cautious and kind of pulling back the plans. Hopefully we'll see in a couple of weeks that's, that narrative will change off the data. Yeah, hope so. It will be interesting to say. I think uh, it's not going to change. I think we're definitely going to be just in this weird whirlwind of a situation. Feels like a tilt a world for the until, next year. Yeah, every until the election's over. It's ironic how this is an election year. That's a whole different conversation. But every four years, it it is interesting how turmoil pops up around this time, and it's been obviously the year of going in. So it'll be interesting when the election's over how much turmoil there is in the world. I'm very curious to see. Yeah, well, it really depends who wins. I mean, that brings me to one of the news points. You guys see how Iran issued a warrant arrest for Trump? <laughs> no, I didn't see that. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure Trump so. probably enjoyed seeing that. You know how they killed that general in that drone striking? Like, yeah. at this point, it feels like a couple months ago. I don't know the exact date. Oh, yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah, but they just put out like some warrant list and Trump is like the number one person on there. <laughs> I thought it was funny because like, I don't even know what that means. Like, what is, I, 
yeah, yeah, I don't know. They, but they can't they can't arrest him. That's just ridiculous. It was more so like I saw an article that was kind of saying like, yeah, obviously they can't arrest Trump, but this more so brings attention to how bad the relations are right now between the United States and Iran. Like for them to put our president on some warrant list for an arrest shows that like things couldn't be worse right now between the United States well, and Iran. No Dan, one really you know, well, you know, I've told you for a while, Dan, when we've talked about had conversations about the world randomly together. Do you guys, can you hear me with the headphones in? Yeah. Um, I've, and Corey, I know I brought this up to you that North Korea has been the red herring in all this. And Iran has been the actual problem for us as a country to be worrying about. And that's now, you know, that narrative's coming into fruition way more, but they are the actual problem here more than any other country for the US, more than Russia, more than anybody based on their leadership and the way, like Vladimir Putin, when you think of Russia, he's a guy that has reason in him in a way where you even saw it with the Saudi Arabia oil deal a few months ago when shit was really hitting the fan in the world. The guy came to the table and worked out a deal. You know, so say what you want about Russia. And, you know, I know we hear a lot of terrible things. Most of it, I'm sure, is true. Who knows what if it's not? But Iran, they're run in a different way. And it's it's not even like North Korea. They, they have a strong hatred of America in a different level. And it, it is scary because they it's there's no doubt. One thing I'll tell you, with, whether you love or hate Trump, he, he's been right to look into this Iran deal because it's impossible to trust Iran. So the deal that was in place basically gave them a buffer to be bullshitting the world under the table. And I remember they had a I think it was a vice episode on this and they were trying to like get the brass tacks were giving Iran a chance to like show their cards behind the scenes. This was back, I think, when Obama was still in office. And it was obvious they were hiding things. The way they showed, it was just completely sketchy. And I don't know, I personally think that's going to become a problem. But again, that's why the US has that alliance with Israel and has trained Israel the way and armed them the way they have. So when you think of the really the most efficient army in the world, it's Israel, thanks to the U.S. So where they're located, there's a reason for that, that the U.S. has formed that alliance. It's because of Iran and the unrest in the Middle East. And there's a lot that goes into that. We could talk about that for hours, where the, the bottom line is that goes back to when Winston Churchill laid out the roadmap of the Middle East back in the World War II era of how it was going to be constructed. And naturally it caused conflict for many different reasons. And we could have our, another podcast about that, but that that's where we're at with Iran. That's my little rant on that. It's scary. I mean, you seem to know a lot about this. Like you should dive more into it. What do you mean exactly? Like, obviously you know, what I mean is they're, they're building nuclear warheads on a scary pace. They have scientists that know what they're doing. They've been trying to accrue resources that who knows where they're at with it with, you know, we're scared of them having a nuclear bomb and who knows what else, like Russia has plenty, but we also know they're a, they're a, a world power at the end of the day, based on the oil situation. And they're not going to do anything world ending, knock on wood, but 
we already saw it before we were all alive. There was a huge back when our parents were growing up. You could ask them. They used to do drills in school about which was laughable thinking about it, getting under your desk. If a nuclear bomb went off, everyone's dead. (laughs) But no, that was the times though, where like our moms and dads would go to school and their parents were worried about Russia bombing us and ending the world and us bombing them. And that never happened because the world would have ended. Iran is way more of a wild card because they're not on that world stage at all. And when you, you know, that line, beware of the man with nothing to lose. That, that's the scary thing with Iran. I'll, that sums it up to me. Like yeah, you back them in a corner enough with sanctions and they have nothing they can do except that ace in the hole they may have. Yeah, I still go back to the whole notion that all these world leaders at the end of the day are just on like ultimate power trips. And in my opinion, at least none of them like really ever want to take it to the extent where they're going to end the world because then they're going to just end their lives too. And they and then, all- like we always joke about it, but it, there is a chance too. like th- there's stuff we all don't know about, but it's very weird how the world's constructed. And there hasn't been a nuclear bomb for a reason since Hiroshima. It's because of the aliens. Maybe. Was it Hiroshima or Nagasaki, the last one? Either way. Nagasaki. Nagasaki. Either way, though, there was not going to be another one after that. And we might not be in control of that. That's a whole conspiracy in itself. But when you really think about it, it's ironic, like, how the world cooperates with certain things. Like the space, the space station is a prime example of that. Yeah, folks, if you want to great alien show and you want to go down a rabbit hole ancient aliens on the history channel it's got like 20 seasons a Some few of gems a few gems are but a lot of those episodes dan you have to admit are like there's a few dominant ones, but there's some in there that are just like, come on, what is this? Yeah, for sure. But there are a few really dominant ones where it just blows your entire world. And then it just boils down to like, are the people that you're listening to that are telling you about these things that happened, like, do you believe them? You know, because that's what I always find myself doing when I'm watching that show. I'm like, okay, this just boils down to like, do I believe this guy? <laughs> you know, yeah. some guy yeah. telling, telling a story about when he was in the military and he flew over Antarctica and there's some massive hole the size of like eight football fields and all these aliens. There's some good ones there. Yeah, it's a yeah, great show. Yeah. It's amazing. Love it. But guys, let's. I know we've gotten off track a bit. Corey, do you have any food for thought before we dive into this book, before we have Adam Trank coming on? Yeah, I just got a quick uh, some summer food hacks that uh, I thought were awesome for this time of year. Uh, one, if you're having a party this summer, obviously, you know, isolate with your friends, but you can make a, a keg out of a watermelon. So you just scoop out the watermelon and you can actually fill it with whatever you want. It doesn't have to be alcohol, it could be lemonade, mm-hmm. but it has that watermelon flavor and it keeps you hydrated. So that's one that I really liked. Another one is um, I always get iced coffee. Um, it's always watered down because Starbucks, Dunkin' Donuts, all the coffee coffee shops, it's obviously half water, half or half ice, half uh, coffee. So you can make your own coffee and just put in coffee cubes, put in the freezer, and then you actually have coffee cubes and then put regular coffee in that and you got double iced coffee, double the caffeine. Wow, Corey, that's, that's clever. I love that. That's a good one. And the last one I didn't know about, I think this is awesome, but uh, anyone who likes to grill out there, the hardest part about grilling is cleaning it and scrubbing it. It's a process. If you actually just leave your grill on uh, low to medium heat and just leave an onion in there, it actually completely gets rid of everything. And there's no uh, no chemicals, obviously. It's just completely natural. 
So that's a nice little summer grill hack trick. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. And that is food for thought. Cool. Well, before we dive into the book, I'll just intro Adam Trank for us. And then we can dive into the book before he comes on. He is, he's from Wachung, New Jersey. I know we had Hala Taha on a couple of weeks ago. We have another hometown cooking here. All right here, Corey. Adam Trank grew up in our town. Best friends with Frankie Times, older brother, Jerry, who's the man. So I had, a, I had a lot of great times with Adam Trank in high school with the Eisen bands. We, we got along really well. I remember him when I was in kindergarten, he was in fourth grade. We were on the same bus. He was like that cool kid at the school that no one messed with. <laughs> like back in Bayberry, where they, like back when, you know, that was a, one of my first memories was like, oh, Adam Trank, he's a fourth grader here. So <laughs> I always like, he, he had that intimidating vibe from like as a young kid where back when kids respected their elders. Yeah. Yeah. You know what sure. I mean? Where it was like, Oh, this kid's a few years older. Like he's the, look at him. Like, he's yeah. The man. but yeah, he, uh, we always got along well. Like he actually, uh, you know, I think he gave me a couple rides to school back in the day and he was a great kid and is a great kid. And he is, he has quite the history. He has his own law practice, the Rose law group. He's the owner of Billy cook harness and saddle which he recently bought and he'll dive into that. And he's the executive director of helicopter tourism and job council Inc., which I believe is a family business. And he is member board of directors for Cantor, Arizona, which is a horse, I believe a horse rescue mission. He's big in horses. I think he has a ranch. I'm curious to hear how many horses he has. He was also guys a councilman and vice mayor in cave Creek, Arizona. Dan, you know, I know we spent a lot of time out there growing up with Papa Ken, and I love Cave Creek. And next time we're in Scottsdale, we're going to have to hang out with Adam because he has a, a great setup out there. And, you know, he's always inviting us out anyway, open invite. So we have to make that happen. Yeah, it's a dominant area. So, yeah, I'm pumped to have him on. Before that, though, let's get into this drying paint book. Sorry, Sarah <laughs> Fryer. I know you're a great author. I'm sorry this almost reminded me of an encyclopedia. Like it was literally chronologically, basically in the eyes, the lens of Kevin Seistrom, the founder of Instagram. And basically from their conception back in 2010, the guy is an artist, clearly. Like he started this in a creative mindset. And it, it was really cool hearing about how detail-oriented he was about the early on pictures and incorporating the filters and how against stories he was, which I thought was fat. That was one part of the book I thought was pretty fascinating. He had no interest in Insta stories and copying Snapchat. And a couple people on his team were like, yo, this has to happen. And he ended up relenting and being like, okay, it's just, to me, this book sums up how big of an ego some of these guys, and I always say you have to have an ego to accomplish something big. You have to, to an extent. You have to know when to keep it in check. But I don't think uh, anyone can argue that you have to have that trait in you at times to do something big. And you could tell throughout this book, even after he was a billionaire and he was, you know, you could tell there were bits and pieces about him traveling, tra private jets, like going to see the Pope, which I thought was really cool when they got him to do a, a Insta shot early on with Instagram when Facebook... I believe this was uh, after Facebook bought them. Yeah. But yeah, they had the Pope. He got back to them and said he's down to do a picture, fly out here, 
in, and he obviously flew private to see the Pope in Italy uh, 36 hours later. So the guy lives quite the life. Like he, he made some comments in there about it too. But on the other end of that, he couldn't stand having Zuckerberg as his boss. And he reached a point, just like they highlighted the WhatsApp founders in there did, where they left. And you have to put yourself in their shoes for a second. You start something big. Like, for example, look at all of us. Say one day, Lodell, which is going to happen. We're going to get this thing on another stratosphere. Say we got bought by a company, not like our space is similar to what happened with Instagram and Facebook by any means, but just hypothetically, put yourself in that boat where get paid a lot of money and then you're under some guy that you have no connection with and he's steering you in a way you're not interested in and you have enough money where it's like, fuck off. I'm good. Yeah. You got to so, let go of your baby. You, you got paid. You got the money you want. Let, you you got to let go. Yeah, but you could tell part of him still wanted to like keep pushing with it. But then no, I, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. So yeah. That, that summed that up. Corey, what was your thought on it? I what I hated about I liked like the first few chapters and then I felt like it got so much into to Facebook and Snapchat and, and hating on Zuckerberg like I it's unreal yeah, how much hate that guy gets he's a genius. yeah I was honestly just I got bored um, it was not my favorite book it, I thought it was extremely boring I, I when I read like a book about a startup business well obviously not a startup but like. I like the startup phases and that's why I like the initial chapter. And I, after chapter one, I was like, nice, like I'm going to like this. And yeah. it just progressively got more and more boring. And I hate yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It was, uh, I just, I don't know. I almost feel like and it, the Zuckerberg part bothered me because let's say, let's give this guy some credit for a second. He's responsible for the largest social network and largest platform in history for users outside of Google. And probably going to surpass Google if they haven't already. I don't even know. But the guy gets hated on for not figuring out everything with free speech and hate speech. Give the guy a breather. He's working on it. <laughs> you know, I, I see that these companies are pulling advertisements. I get it. A lot of them are doing it for their own marketing and image purposes, not because they want to be good people, by the way. That's a whole different thing. But if you're a big brand, you have to play that card or it's a terrible look for you. And we were talking about this earlier, seasonality wise, it's very convenient to put a pause on Facebook for July and August for companies with ad spend, especially after the pandemic. So I, I think, you know, Dan and I were actually talking that, about that a bit earlier, Corey. He was asking if I was concerned about Facebook. And I said, absolutely not. No, I, yeah. I, actually, I figured it would drop a bit more of the stock, but it might stall. But I think it's what I'm getting at is Mark Zuckerberg's one of the smartest people on the planet. Give the guy some time. He built something. He didn't know it was going to turn into this. Are you kidding Zuckerberg me? Zuckerberg should come out and say, anybody that's boycotting me will not be allowed back on my platform ever again. You know, and he wouldn't do that. That's when well, we have no. a problem. No, just, no. That would be the ultimate power move by Zuckerberg. I'd be yeah. so annoyed if I was him, like these big notch CEOs coming out and being like, we're getting on the boycott train. Like just basically like giving an open middle finger to Zuck. He's probably well, yeah. people that. hate on people hate on behemoths because they they're envious of them. And it's yeah. like, oh, no, we're putting the pause on Zuck. It's like, you're never going to be Zuck. Keep putting all the pauses you want. It's going to be resuming before you know it. So yeah. I, I'm just giving Cho and Mark Zuckerberg some love here because I've been seeing way too much backlash on a dude that I think is doing as good as a job as possible in his position. Who wants to yeah. run Facebook and not get ridiculed? Like, who would not get ridiculed on another level than him? 
if yeah. they were in that position. It's crazy. I know. It's also so, not like it's not necessarily fair the way people are ridiculing him in general because they're basically saying, "Hey, you you need to only show one side of the argument." And if you're going to show the other side, it's it's gotten to a point where you're you're getting like driven out of the country if you're not on a certain side and it's yeah. turned into yeah so i think zuck was trying to do the right thing i don't know how far he's going to take it but it's it's ridiculous well he's he'll figure it out he's a really smart dude with people around him that are dying yeah. now we got a book oh is he on well no go ahead he's been waiting to come on i just figured i was going to put him on at five Okay, I mean, yeah. say, yeah, real quick. I I forgot how when Facebook started, like before I even had it, you used to get like an email notification when someone tagged you in a picture, even if you didn't have Facebook. Like I completely forgot about that, and uh, I was just thinking about it. It's crazy, like how that would even work. Like, I know. Have a Facebook account, and you'd get an email saying someone tagged you. <laughs> yeah, genius marketing. It, Brilliant. So Mike yeah, Roland we wants to invite you to Instagram, right? Yeah, we've got Adam Trank, the man, the myth, the legend. There he is. What's going on, buddy? Hey, man. Hey, guys. How are you? What's doing up, man? well, man. How you doing? Oh, all things considered, I think I'm doing pretty great. I got my health and uh, still working and just trying to, you know, keep my life together while the world around us evolves, for lack of a better way to describe it. So, Adam, how has your world changed throughout this? Because you have so much going on. I mean, I, I was giving everyone an intro of what you do. And I wanted to start by asking, like, how do you balance all of this? It's crazy. Uh, well, the balance, the, those are two questions. How do I balance yeah. it and how has my world changed? So I get, let me start with how my world has changed. And, and part of that will be a little bit of an intro to who I am. Um, I was in the waiting room. I heard a little bit of your intro to me. I don't know what you covered, but um, I've been involved in my family's business for about six years. We operate Heliports in New York City. Uh, I'm a partner full-time at a law firm in Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, where I've worked now for almost 10 years, which is the Rose Law Group. Here's a shameless plug. I'm wearing our hat. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a dope hat. Thank you. Um, and then uh, I've got a saddle company. We make uh, saddles for horses and other leather goods uh, that I just uh, got involved with last December. So um, those are sort of the three primary roles uh, that I have at any given time right now. And since March, uh, you know, I was still getting used to the saddle company when this all started. I mean, I'd only been involved in the business for like 10 weeks. And so it's, I can't really say that that's changed, although it's not what I expected in this climate. Um, and what has that been like, Adam? Has there been an uptick with people wanting to be out horseback riding through all this? Demand has remained strong. Yeah, I think because it's an outdoor activity and um, because, you know, people are staying home where that which generally people who are enthusiasts have their animals in their backyard, they're using them more, they might be realizing that they need more equipment. So that business, I think, is going to be all right through all this if we can keep the factory open. Oh, has that been the biggest challenge with the virus? Yeah, absolutely. Where that is the factory there. located? Stouffer, Oklahoma, which is about 90 miles southeast of Oklahoma City and about like 100 miles northeast of Dallas. Wow. So, so what's like what's the regulations been like with that, with having to allow people back at work with the social distancing? Yeah. So we are we were deemed an essential business by the municipality that uh, we operate in, Sulphur. Um, said we could continue to operate because we make farm and ranch equipment, which is considered essential. Okay. But we ended up, 
while we were waiting for that ruling because it was pending, they were going to allow us to continue operating until they made a decision. But our staff didn't want to come to work out of fear because of you know what's been all over the news. And this was like the end of March, early April. So we made the decision to you know basically send everybody on a paid vacation until we got that ruling, and that took until the end of April. And so we've been operating since like the last week of April uninterrupted, except for we closed the factory down now twice for a couple of days at a time to get everybody COVID tested because of people coming to work with symptoms. So it's been just very challenging, you know, the logistics of that. And um, I've never managed people directly before. So that's also something new and different. I, yeah, it's a tough game managing, man. That's never been a strength of mine personally. It's, yeah, I, well, we had a similar upbringings, Mike, and, you know, we just weren't trained to be sensitive where we grew up. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. And so, I wanted like, to ask you about that, like growing up in Wachung, like the bubble it was, like shed some light on that, like what it was like coming out of there for you. Uh, well, I spent a lot of my life traveling uh, out west as a kid. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but I spent several summers in Montana and Idaho through high school. And then yeah. my uncle lived in Arizona, so I was out here a lot. Um, and other than my friends and the food, I couldn't wait to escape New Jersey. So it's been, you know, the last 18 or so years of my life just great not being in the traffic and the congestion and the cost of living and all the things that our friends who are still there have to deal with every day. Yeah, man. And you've got quite the setup in Arizona. You're, I mean, every time I see you, you're on a horse hanging out in the desert. I'm like, man, he is living the life here. It looks awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I do. I'm living my dreams, man. I really am. Um, I've been into horses since I was a little kid. My grandfather used to manage uh, the thoroughbred tracks. I don't know if you knew that. Um, oh, no, I didn't. I was around it growing up and just kind of fell in love with it. And, you know, work from the time I got out of high school until 11 years ago when I was finally able to make it happen to have a horse property where I could keep the horses in the backyard. And it's really my only hobby. So how many horses do you have? I have six of my own and I have, uh, I've got five of my own on property and one is out in Oklahoma right now. I brought him out there in February so that I can, you know, hang out with him and ride him when I'm out there with Billy Cook. Uh, and my girlfriend's got two horses and I'm boarding her mother's horse. In the house right now. I've got eight. Oh, man. That's <laughs> wow. awesome, dude. Did you <laughs> ride all the horses? I ride mine. Yeah. I ride all five of mine that I have here. That's amazing. That's Every a lot day. of work, right? Yeah. I, I, uh, have a gentleman who, who uh, lives on a property around the corner. Uh, who's a caretaker there who comes and helps me take care of him Monday through Friday, but I get up in the morning and feed him, and I feed him before I go to bed every night. And then on the weekends, I do all the maintenance, which is just basically just shoveling shit. <laughs> man, that's awesome, man. Yeah. You guys and, like buy your own hay or how does that work? Yeah, I have hay delivered to the house. There's a couple of feed suppliers. Um, I use uh, either Scottsdale Livestock or Black Mountain Feed, depending on what the prices are. Because for some reason, they fluctuate between the two locations, even though they're close to each other. What's going on with the helicopter business currently? Oh, it's, it's struggling right now. Um, as you might imagine, New York City, uh, you know, global hub of tourism, you know, our entire lives until 12 weeks ago. Uh, and business is literally at a standstill. And there's only so much federal government assistance that you can get to keep an organization intact when you have zero business. So 
um, every day has been a challenge for like the last four to six weeks. You know, the landlords, insurance and um, employees were all sort of content to wait to see what happened. Um, but by Memorial Day, the pressure really started to ratchet up as the economy was starting to open. But our business has shown absolutely no sign of returning anytime soon. And now with the uptick of coronavirus cases, um, I'm afraid it's a bleak outlook unless something else shakes loose here pretty quick. Yeah, man. Hopefully we see that this uptick is not leading to, you know, way more people in the hospitals. And this will be something that won't be as bad as advertised right now. Yeah, I'm hopeful that it won't be. I'm not a doctor. I can only yeah. tell you what it's like on the ground here. I mean, the media last week and maybe into the week before that was really saying that Arizona was a hot spot. And I know some people who have gotten sick and who think that they may have had coronavirus and they all tested negative. And then I know some people who, uh, you know, thought that they were in contact with someone who was positive and got tested and they tested positive and never showed any symptoms. You know, I, who's to say? Yeah, I, yeah. This is all so crazy to me. I, you know, it is, man. If, if it were just the flu, you'd say, why do you want me to wear a mask to go to the grocery store? Right. <laughs> you know? and, like I'll I roll have, the dice. And both of these guys had it. Corey had it really badly. And oh, Dan, Dan just recovered. Really? Yeah, I had so what was your experiences with it like? Tell me, because I, I haven't really gotten any, you know, firsthand accounts. Yeah. So um, to be honest, I actually, when I first got sick, I didn't know. I happened to have a, an MRI scan and they actually saw it in my chest. They saw something in my chest. They told me to go to the doctor. I felt completely fine. Um, and then the next day, the days after, it was purely just like body pain, worst headaches, some of the worst body pain I've ever had. Like I couldn't, I honestly couldn't get out of bed for about two weeks. The second week wow. I got, I had a, a bad cough where like I was having the trouble breathing, but other than that, it was literally just body pain, fever, sweating. I had no appetite. And the second week I had a terrible cough to go along with it. After that, you know, it took about 15, 16 days to fully recover for me, but everyone else I know has been pretty mild. Knock on wood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I had like no symptoms. And I just literally had a little bit of fatigue every day where I didn't want to like work out or really do anything, but I never got a cough, no congestion, no body aches, no fever. And after about a week and a half, I feel pretty good now. And, that, and so what prompted you to get tested that you know that you had it? My girlfriend kind of had a nasty cough and okay. I kind of had a feeling she was maybe getting it. And then I woke up and was feeling just not that great. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to just go get one of these tests just to play it safe. Cause we, I live in Charleston, South Carolina and mm -hmm. starting like two months ago, things, or maybe like a month and a half ago, things started to like really get back to normal here with restaurants, bars. So we've been doing a lot of stuff. So it was like, I wanted to just make sure I wasn't being an idiot. Well, I was being an idiot, but I wanted to make sure if I was sick, I wasn't going to like go out and give it to people, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So I just wanted to get tested to know if I needed to like self quarantine. And yeah. yeah. And well, I'm glad that behind both of you. Yeah. I'm Thanks. in New York. I, I had it the first week of March. So I feel like it was right when things were happening and I just got it bad. So hopefully just the cases now are just more mild. Yeah. It's yeah. Bad. It's a nutty thing. Um, obviously, I don't want to get it. I'm not looking forward to having it. But like, if the alternative is to lock myself away in my house, I'm not about that. So 
you know, I'd rather just roll the dice if I get sick, you know, I'll grin and bear it and hopefully come out of it as well as the two of you did and life right. will, will go on. <laughs> yeah. Adam, you, have, you can actually shed some light on this though, because you have experience in leadership. Uh, you were a councilman, a vice mayor of Cave Creek. My brother and I grew up with our grandpa right down the street from there. We love that place. Can you go over for starters, like how that even came about for you getting into that mentality to want to get into that role? And sure. secondly, what what public policy is like, like being in charge of decision-making that can impact so many people? Well, I got involved. So I mentioned like 11, 12 years ago, I first moved to Cave Creek and I ended up with a horse property up here. And in order to get that house, literally, like I had no possessions left, no money. Like I bought the house and moved into it and was living like on a mattress on the floor with no TV because I, prior to that, I was living in a house with roommates uh, that I lived in in college. And when I left, I left the furniture behind so I could rent the room that I had been living in so that I had the income from, from mm. running that room. Um, so I, for entertainment, I would go to the council meetings on Monday nights just for something to do for the first few months that I lived here. And I was in law school at the time. And, you know, as I watched what those guys did, honestly, and no disrespect to, to those gentlemen, many of whom have be, since become my friends, but I was watching what they were doing and I was like, eh, this is not that complicated. I think I could do a better job. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So and I just decided to run. I went all in, um, making a long story very short. It was a heated race. The local newspaper took a position against me that I was a carpetbagger from the Northeast. And dude, my dad brought that up to us. I, that, I'll never forget that. He was like, dude, Adam Trank. So you see this? He's running for office. I was cracking up. I'll never forget that. It, it was a lot of fun, a lot of learning experience. But then I got on the council. The first term um, was basically an exercise in futility. And what I mean by that is I spent two years just having six other people tell me no uh, because of the political pressures that, that were being put on them by the newspaper publisher and everything else. Uh, and so after two years of that, I decided I had enough. I didn't want to run again. Although the only thing that I was able to accomplish when I was on the council was to defeat a property tax. I managed to rally my colleagues to say, no, we don't need a property tax that had been imposed by the manager. Um, and so after I was off the council, the town manager tried to bring that back. And it just kind of pissed me off. You know, I'm a stakeholder in the community and I thought, ah, no. So we did a referendum. The, the property tax passed the council and we ran a referendum to defeat the tax at the ballot box before it was implemented. And that referendum was successful. And so the tax was never instated. And then as a consequence of that, friends, neighbors, whatever, they were all like, you need to run again. So I'm only going to run again if you can help me put together a team and we can have a plurality on the council. Be one of seven is basically a waste of my time. So uh, we ended up putting together what became known as the Trank State. Um, and there were five other people, or no, I'm sorry, four other people, five of us total. Four of us were ultimately elected. One woman was not. But we ended up with four of the seven council seats, which is why I became vice mayor. And... Uh, that was fun. I mean, we did a lot of good things. I'm really proud of the work we did in the town. We restored horse privileges, like 500 lots or 250 lots, some some big number, like some significant percentage of the number of properties. And um, we got on the front page of the New York Times for drumming up a feud with Scottsdale about which community was more Western. And that had a real boost to our tourism economy here because the only industry in Cape Creek is tourism. Otherwise, it's pretty much a bedroom community. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that was fun. We made some improvements to how the water company was operated. Um, as far as making public policy decisions go, for me, it was all you know common sense. You know, what are, where do our revenues come from? What can we do to support those businesses? And what do the people who live here want? What do I want as a resident? And, uh, you know, ultimately they voted me out. So <laughs> how good a job I did or not. I mean, man, it's incredible. It awesome. You, That's awesome though, how curious you were like going to the council meetings, right? When you move there, most people, when they move to a city, they're not like, oh, let me go to a council meeting and then, oh, I could do this. Like, that's incredible. You had the conviction and confidence to make that happen to begin with. That's Seriously, really cool. I really respect that. I have been that crazy. <laughs> I don't know what I was smoking. But Adam, that, that, you know, dude, I think we always talk about that on our podcast. When you're a creator, you have to be crazy. When you're right. building anything and, you know, you being a partner at a law firm, being vice mayor, councilman, and even with your business that you bought recently, you clearly have this mindset where you're always trying to build and try new things, which is incredible. What what would you say has been the, you said it wasn't really what you expected going in. Can you shed light on that? What what that's been like compared to uh, what you Billy Cook? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I bought the company in December and it's kind of a long involved story. I'll spare you guys the details of how I ended up with the opportunity, but I've been into horses obviously my whole life. Billy Cook is a brand I had been aware of. Um, the founder passed away. His family was gonna shut the company down. I bought it and I knew I was going to have to come in there and, you know, it was going to be a new experience figuring out how the business operated because I don't know anything about building saddles and I don't know anything about managing factory and I don't know anything about how to make leather. Um, and so I thought that was going to be my education. Uh, and then I'd get my legs under me. I had no doubt in my mind that I could do it. And, you know, there might be some bumps in the road, but ultimately we'd continue to make saddles. We'd make the company profitable because it had been losing money in the last couple of years before I bought it. And I attributed that to mostly, you know, the founder sort of aging and the economy around him evolving and him not keeping up with the times. So didn't have a website, things like that. Um, and really in the last three months, it's been anything but that. We've just been dodging bullets with COVID and government regulations and, you know, getting deemed essential and, you know, keeping the employees and uh, concerns at bay and making the environment safe. You mentioned earlier that social distancing, but to make sure their workstations were set apart and bring in people to clean the factory after each one of these scares we had with people thinking they were sick. It's just been, it's been very crazy. Uh, I mean, I think the, the bright side of that I would that comes to mind, like we talked about the outdoor activities, people being out and about wanting to just get some fresh air after all this lockdown. Maybe your demand is going to go through the roof from this on another level where you're going to just have more people partaking in horseback riding that wouldn't have before. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I'm fairly confident of that, actually. I think it's this is cause people to sort of go back to their roots, if you will, and want to do other, you know, other activities that hadn't been a priority in a long time. And, and horses are certainly one of them that's safe to do in light of COVID. Um, and the other bright side that I'm looking at, and I always try to see the bright side in things is like, look, I'm dealing with these hurdles now. Once we get this crisis behind us, running this business should just be a breeze. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Adam, seriously, man, that's yeah. really, I mean, it, right off the bat, having to deal with all this adversity, that builds up resilience. There's no doubt you're going to come out of this kicking ass. Yeah. And the company's been around for 67 years and, and a lot of the employees have been there for 20, 30 years or longer. 
Uh, my general manager of production, who he and I become really good friends. He's a few years my senior, but he's been with the company for uh, most of the last 30 years. He took a couple of year break uh, in the early 2000s from the company. But he's like, look, dude, this company has been around for 67 years. And we've, you know, we may not have seen anything quite like this, but we've seen some crazy times in the country and we've managed to hold it all together. So, you know, just sort of keep your head up and we'll get through this. And that's been my mindset. And, you know, lo and behold, we are. Like I said, demand has been up. And as long as we can keep the factory open, I think the future looks great for us. I, I yeah, I'm very confident in that with what you're doing, man. Where can everybody, any horse lovers out there that want to buy product from you, where can they find you? So, uh, Primarily, we sell wholesale to retailers across the, the country and the world. We've got a lot of uh, retailers in Europe and Canada. Uh, okay. But you can also visit our website, which is genuinebillycook.com, um, or our Instagram page, which is genuinebillycook. Um, and, you know, reach out to us there. We do custom stuff, and we do a lot more than just saddles. Um, one of the things that I brought to the company, and you guys should appreciate this, um, is that, you know, leather goods like wallets and belts um, are something that everybody uses, not just people who are into horses, and that we have the capabilities of producing and doing in a way that really not a lot of other companies do, um, you know, in terms of style. And so we're making those products now. We're also making uh, baseball caps. You know, well, this Ooh. is a Rose Law Group hat, but we're doing, if you hang on one second, I'll grab one. Yeah, I would love to see this. That's a cool idea. When you think of like so that smart. saddle material, wow. Well, it's crazy that they that company was around for 67 years and they've never been on social or had a website. Well, like, that's what's awesome. I w that's a great point, Corey. Oh see, wow, that's really cool. Leather on it. You and might have to send us some of those. Yeah, our, man. We I'm gonna logo. definitely get one. That's awesome. Those are awesome. Yeah. Adam and Corey just brought up a good point, man. Your ability, you obviously are great with marketing naturally, the way mm -hmm. you think. This company's been around for 67 years. I know you've been getting them on social media, Instagram. When you came on board, was that even an afterthought for these guys? Yeah, they had they had it had a Facebook page, but that was essentially yeah. you know dormant. Oh, you know, Adam, you're gonna kill this. Let's sit there. This yeah, you're gonna kill this. Run, man. Absolutely, because you're you understand new age call to action. With even when you think about what you did as a councilman and vice mayor. You, it's an innate quality you've got, man. You're a brander. You're a builder. So sure. for this, you're going to be able to take this thing to a new stratosphere. I think the pandemic's going to help. I think so. And I also think, you know, I've heard other people say it's not an original thought, but like the made in America concept is, be, is going to be more important as a result of this crisis we're facing. And we are made in America. I mean, our factory has been around since 1953 and our products are made by hand. And if you you know, you want to buy a fancy wallet for a couple hundred bucks. Why would you go and buy something made in Italy by Gucci when you could buy Billy Cook made right here in the United States and it's better quality and a cheaper price? Well, I know where I'm getting a wallet next time I need one. That's yeah, right. Yeah. I'm carrying. Oh, wow. It's a bifold. It's got the cards in the Look, middle. I love it. You know. But yeah, I'll send you guys some of this stuff, some samples. You can give me some feedback. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I would love that. And. Yeah. There's no doubt the American-made movement is going to be coming back hard after this because people are just going to want to show their support. At least I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. For sure. And Adam, obviously it shows your love of horses. With Can you talk about Cantor a bit that you're a board member of? Uh, Cantor, if I'm being totally honest, we've not been real active lately. It's been about two years. Um, we merged with the Colorado chapter and the lady who was the president of the Colorado operations pretty much took over 
the Arizona territory. And that was uh, a function of some of the things I had going on in my life. I needed to sort of step away from doing that. But for a long time, we went and got horses off the racetrack that were in need of a rehabilitation or were looking for a new home because their racing career had ended and um, took them in. In many cases, I had them in my own backyard until they were rehabilitated. And then we would adopt them out, which is basically we would sell them for a fee, but with an adoption agreement that said that they you know, couldn't be re-raced. Um, and then the money that we generated for by adopting them out would be fund our operations and rehab the next project. Oh man, that's, that's awesome. really cool. Oh, yeah. It was fun. I think we did, I want to say we did 12 horses when I was the president of that. And then I stayed on the board for a little while, but I, like I said, the last two years, I haven't had too much to do with it. I mean, Hey man, you've got a lot going on. I looking at all these different things. I don't know how you get any sleep, honestly. <laughs> it's awesome. I actually, I, I sleep really good every night. Dude, that's how you're able to operate. And Adam, yeah. obviously, you know, we're in the food delivery game, man. I have to ask you, are you ever, I know you make a mean steak from what you've told me. I got to try one one of these days, but have you uh, ever dabbled with delivery or pickup? Um, you know, living in Cape Creek, there's not a whole lot of opportunity for delivery. Um, we do take out every once in a while before the pandemic more so than now. I know it's like sort of support your local restaurants and do take out. But for me, the experience of that is not the same as eating out. And I'd rather if I'm going to like do dishes and clean up at, at home. Plus, you got to drive like 10 minutes to get to somewhere where you can pick oh, up. Yeah. By the time you get at home, it's cold. It's not the same experience. Um, but, you know. I love eating out and I know you're a foodie and that's your thing. Oh, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what's, I, what's your go-to food, Adam? Like what's your favorite meal on the planet? I'm a ribeye steak eater. I mean, I, that's, yeah. that's pretty much my go-to if I could have anything. Arthur's? Like if you were to, yeah. Oh, Arthur's. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. <laughs> that's, that's what made me Arthur's and Sammy cider mill and Mendham. Oh, up. of course. Dude, we used to go there all the time. The place is awesome. We're going to have to do a uh, Eisenband Trank steak dinner one of these days. Uh, next time we're all in New Jersey together, we have to. 100%, man. And we're, I'm going to come out to Arizona with Frank. We were talking about it the other day. Oh, he was here in February, right? But in fact, like coronavirus was just getting started and he and his girlfriend came out. We had a great weekend. And that weekend was the last time that I ate at my favorite steakhouse out here. I haven't really? been back since. Yeah. Adam, I, I have to ask you, have you been to the Horny Toad? I have, yeah, many times. Right. How great is that fried chicken? Uh, it's amazing. Dan and oh, I amazing. used to go there all the time. <laughs> Huge fan yeah, of that. We got, we're due for a trip to Arizona, Dan. We got to go hang out with Adam. We yeah, do. Come on out, guys. We'll have a good time. There's a lot of – I'd obviously wait till things return to normal so we can take full advantage of it. But I, I'm confident that some of our uh, – I'm confident that, a lot, you know, the, the mainstays will stay in business and get through this. I mean, I hope so. Yeah, it's man. And I'm confident. What won't you're, reopen. I know. I'm uh, I'm confident in what you have going on here with Billy Cook. I'm pumped to see what happens and excited to see these wallets and all the stuff you're doing onto another level. I think the caps are really clever and the made in America thing could take you a long way. Yeah, I hope so. Definitely, man. Well, Adam, really appreciate the time, dude. Keep kicking ass and uh, hope to see you soon. We'll definitely yeah, take a trip. Trust me, man. Yeah, yeah you too. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate what you're doing. Keep it up. We'll oh, talk that, thanks a lot, buddy. Take care. All right, <laughs> All right how's it going? <laughs> that uh, that comment is funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Adam, ask him what uh, where his sister lives these days. Liz. Oh yeah, I know yeah. she's married with a kid now. 
I don't know. I mean, that was yeah. We should have brought that up. They used to live like right down the street from us, growing literally up. right down the street. Yeah, for sure. yeah. So it's good to have some home cooking there, and I'm hearing Corey's stomach rumbling a little. Bootstrapped in the trenches, making moves, going all out. Every day handle business. You know that the hustle don't stop. Got my team, let's get it. Reviewing books and talk stocks. Steady keep it moving. So you gon' wanna tune in. Get Lowdell, it's an app. Get local food on demand. Delivery right to your home. Everything in the palm of your hand. Took hard work and dedication. Come through, join the conversation. This is history up in the making. We just wanna be an inspiration. Hey, let's go.